Welcome to TNS, the new school at Commonweal, a collaborative learning project exploring nature, culture, and consciousness. Join us now for conversation, stories, and music with Rachel Naomi Remen and Karen Drucker. Greetings, everyone. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. I am Kira Epstein. I'm the program coordinator for the New School at Commonweal. We are absolutely so delighted to welcome back Dr. Rachel Naomi Remen today for a special holiday celebration of gratitude with musician Karen Drucker. For anyone who may be new to the New School, we are a program that presents conversations, readings, and performances with thought and action leaders of our time. We have been offering our programs free of charge in the spirit of gratitude for 15 years. And we have more than 300 conversations uh, recorded and up on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. And Rachel's been with us for a number of them. The recordings will be posted on the new school website at tns.commonweal.org and on our other media channels, which I just mentioned, YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. You can find all of our recordings then uh, there. I know many of you know our guests. At Commonweal, we are so grateful to be have been working with Rachel since almost the time our organization began both it, uh, in the Commonwealth Cancer Help Program, which is where she's still the medical director, and also with many conversations here at the New School. Karen is new to the New School, uh, and we are so honored to have her music and singing here with us today to celebrate gratitude. Uh, again, we are so honored to be supporting Rachel and Karen with this offering, and we're glad you are all here joining us. With that, I will turn things over to Rachel and Karen. Again, thank you for joining us at the New School at Commonweal. First of all, welcome. Welcome, welcome. um, Karen and I have been friends for a long time, but it seems to take when I moved from, I used to live a block away from you, right? Now that I live several miles away from you, we know each other real well. And here we're doing this for the first time together, which is really exciting, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, I love it, Rachel. Anytime yeah. I get to be with you, I'm thrilled. And, you know, we, we just have these great conversations about everything. And we just finally decided, well, why don't we let people listen to some of these great conversations that we have? And that's what this is. That's what this is. Just a conversation today about gratitude. Yeah. So will you say a few words about gratitude? Well, I, you know, I love, I love the conversations we have, Rachel, because it's like it just, any, any topic that we look at, we just go deeper and deeper into, <clears throat> into what we feel about it. And this is a, this is a juicy subject, especially at this time of year, isn't it? Yeah. You know, the idea of, you know, Thanksgiving and the holidays and you're supposed to just be grateful and everything's fat, the happiest time of the year. <laughs> And, you know, sometimes we kind of lose that. It's like, what am I really grateful for? And to have this be a spiritual practice, to have it be a practice that you do every day. So that's some of the things we're going to talk about today is just how do you, when when you get triggered, when you're off track, when you don't feel the gratitude, 
you know, what can you do to, to come back and just find like moments of gratitude, little, little nuggets. So between the songs I'm going to sing today and some of the stories that she's going to talk about, well, you know, we're going to delve into this subject. Well, you know, when uh, we decided to do this subject, I remember I said, this is going to be simple. I'll just sort of tell stories about gratitude. And then I realized I didn't have any stories about gratitude. Well, everything you, well, all your books are all about right. gratitude, really. Yeah. Well, that was but. the amazing thing. You said, Rachel, you wrote a whole book about gratitude. And I said to you, what book is that? <laughs> you said, my grandfather's blessings. Yeah. And um, gratitude is not, um, I wasn't raised with the experience of gratitude. I was raised with the experience of whatever it is you're doing there's always more you could do, right? If you brought home a 98 from, from school, you weren't grateful for the ability to do that. You, what happened to the other two points? Right. I had the exact same thing, yeah. exact same upbringing. I don't know. Is that a Jewish thing, Rachel? Is <laughs> it a Jewish thing? It may be an American thing. Maybe an American thing. Yeah, because it was always, yeah. it's not enough. It's like, what's the next thing you're going to do that's going to be better? And I never gave myself credit for... I mean, I never gave myself credit, and the people around me, I felt like, didn't give me credit for what? The 98. You're right. It was always the 2%, and gotta, next time, next time, you got to be better. And what pressure? Well, it's an interesting thing. I think we look, we're very aware of what we don't have. Yes. And often absolutely blind to what we do have. And gratitude is an awareness of what you have. And sometimes you have to make a, a conscious choice to be aware of what you have. You know, like, uh, it's, <laughs> I remember this morning thinking, rats, I don't have the right color sweater to put on, right? And I'm going through these sweaters, I say, God, I haven't got it. I have a feeling of lack, right? And then I looked at the shelf, there are 53 sweaters on that shelf. <laughs> <laughs> and I wasn't grateful for any one of them <laughs> right? because they weren't this thing that I thought that I needed to have this morning. Right. Well, you actually just kind of set me up to sing a song if you want, because I have a song Please. called Today <laughs> I Choose. And to me, gratitude and um, peacefulness and joy and love are the opportunity every day, every moment we get to choose what we're going to focus in on. So let me sing you this little song. So when you start your day, what is the first thing you think when you open up your little eyes? Do you start each day just going, oh, it's a beautiful day, everything's great. But we get to choose what we're going to do with that with that moment. And what do I want my day to be? I choose. And what do I want to feel today? I choose. And what do I want to say today? I choose It's up to me to choose I choose 
I choose. All right, here's my magic wand that says that you can sing. sing. Wait, here we go. So you can sing. If anyone ever told you you couldn't sing, now you can. So today, all my songs, I'm going to invite you to sing. It goes like this. Listen once. Today, I choose to be grateful, so grateful today. I choose to be grateful, grateful. Here you go. Today, I choose to be grateful, to be grateful, so grateful today. I choose to be grateful, grateful. How about happy? Today, today I choose, I choose to be happy, so happy today. today I, choose I choose to be happy, happy. How about peaceful? Today I choose to be peaceful, so peaceful today. I choose to be peaceful, peaceful. And here's what it comes down to. Whatever I choose is how my day's gonna be. I claim what I want, cause it's all up to me. Today, I choose loving. To be loving, so loving today. I choose to be loving, loving. Have a joyful today. Today, I choose to be joyful, so joyful today. Today, I choose to be joyful. Now, I want you to pick your own word. Today, this is what today is going to be. I choose. Here's your word right now. Today. To be pick another word today present abundant healthy whatever it is to be today I choose to be very good you're songwriters whatever I choose is how my day's gonna be I claim what I want it's all up to me you know it's all To be thankful, to be thankful, so thankful today. I choose to be thankful, thankful. Let's go back to gratitude. Today, grateful. I choose to be grateful, so grateful today. I choose to be grateful, grateful. That last line. To be grateful, grateful. To be grateful, grateful, big finish. To be grateful, grateful. Big round of applause. <laughs> do you love that, Rachel? Desperate times. <laughs> you get a little applause button. Yeah. Well, you know, just a few thoughts about gratitude. Um, it's not. It's not. Uh, it's not an instinct for me. To be grateful, I have. I, I've been looking at this and saying, "Why not?" You know, because I really have a great deal in my life to be grateful for. But uh, I wasn't raised by grateful people. 
<laughs> and gratitude was not something I saw demonstrated to me, you know, as a child particularly. And I think most people think of gratitude as a quality. You know, it's a quality of something. But but it isn't. It's a way of life. Mm, true. Gratitude is a way of life. And it's a profound spiritual position. And I discovered this years ago um, at the first Esalen meeting that I had ever attended. Um, uh, at that time, Esalen was a total unknown, you know, and it was a uh, the hotbed of uh, the, the ideas that are the foundation of our lives right now. But they, they weren't back there uh, 40, 50 years ago. And um, I remember, I forget who was leading this. It may have been Maslow. <laughs> Maslow was leading this, this group of doctors who had come to explore what healthy living was about. And um, um, he asked us to uh, take out some paper and actually distributed some pads to us and said, why don't you write down everything you're grateful for? Mm-hmm. And I looked at this pad, and there were 50 pages or so in it. And I said, I don't need this. I don't even, I need one piece of paper to <laughs> write <laughs> everything I'm grateful for. And it was heavy going. And I realized that I was so aware of what I didn't have and what I wanted. And what other people had, and I that I, I somehow had never experienced, and I was totally oblivious to everything I had. Mm. And I looked at this pad that's thirty pages in it, and then over two hours I filled them all, and I was totally unaware of any of the things that I wrote down. Wow! Until I was asked to write them down. I'm grateful for the sweater I have on. I'm grateful for this bush that's growing outside my window in my little garden. There, there's so much in life to be grateful for. And somehow or other, it's not American. Mm. We are always striving to be more. We're always striving to get more. And we... We are totally unaware of how fortunate we are. And I think that as a, a spiritual practice, the thing that we were asked to do, which is just to write down everything you're grateful for, and you just start, and you discover that nothing, you're entitled to nothing. You are lucky to have everything and you do have everything and this is despite the, the, the fact that you may not be well you may be old and infirm you may be alone you still have lots and lots of things to be grateful for and it changes everything it's it's such a simple spiritual practice so i recommend it to everyone you know uh, after this webinar is over find a book a blank book, and start writing it down. Get all the way down to I'm grateful for my shoe polish. <laughs> I'm grateful for this comb that could, that really makes my hair curly. I'm grateful for whatever it is. Just write down what you have. 
Well, I love that, Rachel, because it's mm-hmm. the idea, too, of really um, looking at the smallest things, the smallest things of, of gratitude that I think a lot of times we get so overwhelmed you know, the media saying, you know, you'll be really happening if you have this car, or you look this way, or these clothes, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, we were talking last night about the idea that, you know, when the power goes off, and now all yeah. of a sudden you don't have that's light. A, that's one, isn't it? Yeah. You know, the power, and all of a sudden you go, oh my God, I can't see anything, and I can't watch television, and my computer, and all these things. But then when the power comes back on, all it is is just flicking on that light, and you go, oh. But then... Time goes on and you forget again. You forget about the idea that all it was was just, you get to flick on that little light. You know, so I think it's just each day just looking at your blessings in the smallest way. You know, I, I found this, this wonderful little um, exercise where you can also do it as saying, someone I'm grateful for, something I'm grateful for, some event I'm grateful for. You know, and I love, Rachel, something you taught me a long time ago that I use in all of my women's retreats is that at the end of the day, remember this exercise you taught me that at the end of the day when you put your little head down on the pillow, you say, what inspired me today? What touched my heart today? What surprised me today? You know, that's from her. And I just, I think that that's another form of, of a gratitude practice at the end of the day. Or at the beginning of the day, what am I grateful for this moment, you know, in this morning when I wake up? You know, actually, can I sing you another song, Rachel? Yes. So this is, uh, let me sing you this little song that, um, this is a chant I wrote years ago that um, it started when I was in kind of the dark night of the soul. It was a time when I was really having a hard time. And it was exactly this principle that we're talking about because a friend of mine said, what about if you focused it on the smallest thing? I mean, all you're doing is looking at how life is so hard. What about if it was the smallest thing, like to the point of, I get to wake up and have a great cup of coffee, you know, something that small, that sometimes all it is is just that small step can just be that switch, that little, that little micro movement that just shifts you into, oh, wait, coffee, Oh, I've got this great friend I can talk to later. Oh, the sun is shining. And then you can do that. You can do that list. But sometimes it just takes the smallest thing just to start it. So this is a little chant I'll teach you. It goes like this. I am so blessed. I am so blessed. I am so grateful for all that I have. Notice that all that I have. I am so blessed, I am so blessed, I am so grateful, I am so blessed. That's the whole thing. I am so blessed, so blessed, I am so blessed, so grateful, I am so grateful for all that I have, for all that I have. So blessed, I am so blessed. I am so blessed, I am so grateful, I am so blessed. Are you singing it? Let me hear you. I am so blessed in Illinois, I am so blessed in Germany, these different people I've sing. I am so grateful for all that I have, I'm so blessed, I am so blessed, I am so blessed. 
I am so grateful. I am so blessed. Let's sing it one more time as a prayer. I am so blessed. I am so blessed. I'm so grateful. I am so grateful for all that I have. For all that I have. So blessed. I am so blessed. I am so blessed. I am so, so grateful. I am so blessed. Just that last line. I am so grateful. I am so blessed. I am so grateful. I am so blessed. You know, there's also a, uh, another exercise you could do every day where you say, thank you, God, for everything. I have no complaints whatsoever. I mean, isn't that, a, isn't that another <laughs> level of gratitude? I have no complaints whatsoever. A little difficult to do sometimes, but. So let me read you a story. I oh, love goody. that. That's one of my favorite songs, Karen. I really, Thank you. It's such a great chant. You know, we don't chant enough. I know. That's what I love doing. Songs, we listen to songs. But chanting takes you to a whole other place, doesn't it? It does, because you're breathing and you're singing and you're embodying these words as opposed to listening to someone just sing to you. I just say with all my songs, I say to everybody, change the words, do whatever you want to do, just sing. Sing with me. Yeah, yeah. So um, I had thought I hadn't written any stories like that. (laughs) So I'm going to read you one of the stories I didn't write about gratitude. Goody. It's called The Gift. Now, this is not one of my good seeing days. At 85, just about, I'll be 85 in two months or so. Um, certain things that you take for granted, uh, they just, uh, some days they're just not there. And uh, so I'm going to be using this to read. Okay. Do whatever you need to do. We're just okay. thrilled to be with you. This is called The Gift. The Gift. Every Christmas Eve when I was small, My father and I would take the subway to downtown Manhattan and go shopping for presents for my mother, my aunts, my friends, my teacher, and other important persons in my life. These were special, even magical times. Everything was decorated for Christmas. The windows of the stores up and down Fifth Avenue were magnificent, and some even had whole mechanical villages that moved, or a mechanical Santa that danced and waved. It was almost always cold, and the nighttime streets were crowded with smiling people carrying beautifully wrapped packages, the women in furs and the men in overcoats with velvet collars. Thinking back on it now, after more than, wow, this is 50 years, but it's like more than 70 years now, it seems to me that I could see the joy in people shining in the streets. Christmas music poured out of every open doorway. In my memory, it was always lightly snowing and everyone had snowflakes on their coats and in their hair. We would start at Rockefeller Plaza 
and I would stare in awe at the enormous, beautifully decorated tree, debating whether this year's tree decorations were more beautiful than last year's. They always were. We would watch the skaters for a while, and then we would move slowly down Fifth Avenue, stopping in every store, thinking of the people I loved one at a time, looking at many, many things until I find just the right one for each one of them. At some point during the evening, my father would hand me his big gold pocket watch and tell me that when it chimed, I was to come and meet him right where we were standing. And then I would go off alone in, in whatever store we were in to find his present. While I was gone, my father would do a little shopping of his own. I got to stay up late, later than my usual bedtime. And it was close to midnight when we got home, our arms filled with boxes, each of which had been specially wrapped at the store. My mother always had our chocolate waiting, and we would show her the beautiful boxes and tell her all about the wonderful things we had found for everyone, but not, of course, what we had found for her. It was a chance to think about each one of my beloved people, who they were, and what might make them glad. I remember thinking, of the indescribable feeling of finding each present and the joy of, of recognizing that it was just the right thing. There was such pleasure in choosing the paper and the ribbon and waiting to have it wrapped in just a way that was special for the person that I loved by the people at the store. And finding these precious things made me feel very, very lucky. And thinking back, I realized that I never saw many of these presents opened. They would be mailed away or left under other people's Christmas trees. Somehow this never mattered. The important thing wasn't in the opening or the thanking. The important thing was in the blessing of having someone to love. Hmm. So <sighs> one of the most obvious things in your gratitude list, if you decide to do a gratitude journal, don't forget the people. <laughs> don't forget to be grateful for the people who you love and who love you. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's beautiful. One, one of my first story to you. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful, Rachel. Yeah. It is. It's it's the people around us, but you know, I also think it's really important another aspect too is give yourself that credit. You know, allow yourself to look in the mirror and to be grateful for all that you've done. You know, all that you've accomplished, all that you are, the qualities that you are, you know, that to be able to say, I am a gift. Yeah. And of it's course, it's very easy for me to see that you are a gift. Oh, and it's so easy for me to see that you are. <laughs> 
may I just say? I just look at you and just think, oh my God, I'm so blessed to have you as a friend. But yeah, absolutely. To be able to say that. You're listening to a TNS conversation with Rachel Naomi Remen and Karen Drucker. You know, let me let me let let me sing another song. I wasn't planning on doing this one, but I I think this is another part of gratitude. Um, we're going to sing uh, later on. I'll I'll sing another one of my songs that we're going to do some hand motions to. But one of the things that I do in this this song, I'll teach you in a bit, is that you say gratitude for yourself because you know it starts it starts it's with you starts with you. <laughs> if you're feeling grateful if you're feeling loving towards yourself. You're going to give it to other people. So let me let me sing you this little song here. So this is a song I wrote with my friend Karen Taylor Good. We were kind of kvetching about getting older. And we decided what we wanted to be able to do was look in the mirror and say, I am a gift. Wait a minute, did I blow it? I think I just blew it. Okay, wait a minute. Let me start again. It goes like this. I am a gift. No matter what age, no matter how I look, there's beauty in each stage. I am a gift, and I promise every day that when I look in that mirror, I'll say that I am a gift. Say that to yourself, just say, I am a gift. a gift I've loved really well and every year I've lived has a different tale to tell I've made mistakes and I have some regrets but I promise I'll never forget that I am a gift everybody say that just to yourself to say forget the truth about me when it seems time and youth are just marching on without me that's when I might need you to find me ever so gently remind that I am a gift God's precious child I was put here on this earth but only for a while so I make this vow and I say it with love that I am perfect and whole and enough and I am a gift I am just repeat after me to say I am I am a gift. So to remember that in those times when we beat ourselves up for, you know, we're not good enough, we're not smart enough, we're not this, we don't look like this, we don't have the right turtleneck to wear in the morning, <laughs> whatever it is, <laughs> you could just say, you know, who I am is enough. I am a gift. 
So Rachel, I'm, I'm looking in the chat here and a few people have said some really interesting things about their, their ways of um, having that gratitude practice. And one person here, let's see, where is she? She said, oh, this is Gary. I don't know if I'm saying that name right. She said that she, she does her um, gratitude practice by doing the five senses, by seeing, smelling, tasting, hearing, and feeling. Oh, that's neat. Isn't that a good one? Yeah. You know, to even just say, what am I feeling right now? What am I hearing? What am I... I mean, I do that when I go for a walk and I find... Sometimes I'll go for a walk and I go, I am so not present. I'm so in my head with a chattering mind. And I'll stop and say, okay, what am I smelling? You know, what am I seeing? What are some of your gratitude practices, Rachel? What else do you do when you're kind of going off track? Well, see, I'm, I'm a person who still has to remember to be grateful, believe it or not. So to, to get into that really practice wonderful. then. This was really wonderful preparing for, for our talk together. It's like gratitude. Yeah. <laughs> that word. <laughs> what does that word mean? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I think very much is this thing very odd about being so aware of what you haven't got, what you haven't, um, what's not there, that you don't see what is there. Uh, so true, isn't it? Yeah, it's very, very strange. And the thing that I'm most grateful for, I became aware of last night, believe it or not, as I was preparing to do this thing close together, and I'd love to take a, a minute and share it with you. Please. Um, let's see. It's it's a story. And it's um it's a long story. Let me just see if I can do this. Um I want to tell you how the first book started. Do I was giving us a, a lecture for Dean Ornish. Um he's the man who first discovered that heart heart disease can be reversed. I mean, one of the great discoveries of medicine today. And there were a hundred men who had been dragged by their wives in this workshop on, you know, how to eat well and, and you know, all the all of his, his program. And I was talking about perfectionism and how it harms the heart. <laughs> it's just a good lecture. And I see Dean sitting in the back with his um a laptop, which were brand new invention at the time, laptop, and he's writing, and I'm sure being that he is a type A person, <laughs> he's writing a grant back there. He doesn't want to waste the time listening to my talk. But he wasn't. He was writing down some of my stories. And I need to tell you that my stories were always a source of embarrassment to me. As the one of the only women in the class of medical school, the fact that I told stories was seen as ridiculous. After all, this has only happened to one person, so how can it have any importance? Anecdotal evidence. And people had such contempt for stories that I finally realized I was so desperate to be accepted by all these men in my class as an as a equal that I stopped telling stories for years, right? And I'm telling my little stories, and he's, he writes one down, and he sends it to his editor and his agent, his book agent. He's just written one of the most powerful books in American medicine about the reversal of heart disease. 
And uh, she is one of the great book agents in the United States. Nobody gets to talk to her in person. That he hands her this little story as a page and a half. He's written that. And he says to her, Esther, um, she had a lot of these stories. Don't you think she should write a book? And Esther reads the story and cries. Esther does not cry easily. <laughs> and she calls up a young woman who is just starting a, a publishing imprint, called now Riverhead, and says, I've got your first book, Susan. And when Esther says that she has your first book, she has your first book. <laughs> and I get a book contract. I know nothing about this. And the phone rings. I pick up the phone and a gravelly voice says, Rachel, it's Esther. I'm doing your book. And I say to her, Esther who? <laughs> she says, Esther Newberg. And I say, have we met? I have no idea who she is. And so I have this book contract. And I decide that I'm going to try because I'm not a writer. What do I know about writing? I'm going to try. And uh, they send out an editor who's about 22. And she's, okay, what's the book about? I have no idea. And she, <laughs> she starts trying to elicit from me, I have nothing. And so she says to me, okay, here's the deal. Let me tell you, you buy a computer and you learn how to use it. That's number one. Number two, you put it in a place where you do nothing else. This, it, I don't care if it's a closet. It doesn't matter. Corner of the room. You do nothing else. And you sit down in that place at the same time every day for two hours and you write whatever's on your mind. At the end of two hours, you get up and you walk away. And you keep doing this day after day. He says, deal? And I, it's the craziest thing I ever heard of. And I say, deal. Okay. So I do that. I get the, the, um, the, the, uh, the, the computer. And I sit in front of it, and the first day, I just sit there. I have nothing to write. You know, I'm not a writer. When I, and the next day, I sit there again, and I'm looking at the blank screen for two hours, right? And the third day, I say, well, I could tell it a story. So I write down a story. It's kind of fun, right? And the next day, I write down another story. It's kind of fun. And the deal I have is that I have eight or nine months to give her 400 pages of writing. That was the deal, right? And I start writing down stories day after day after day. And at the end, I have 400 pages of little stories, what are called in Yiddish boobamizers, grandma stories. But I don't have a book. And I'm humiliated. So I write to her and I say, look, I have all the illustrations for a book and I know what it's about. It's a book about healing. Take me about six weeks to actually write the book, but I've got all the case histories. Here they are. And um, two days later, she calls me back and she says, stop writing. And I say, why? She says, finished. I said, what are you talking about? She says, it's finished. I says, oh, but all you have is a whole lot of little stories. She says, yes, it's a book of little stories. And I say, I can't do that. 
And I'm starting, my tears are coming up from all the people making fun over all the years, right? I can't do that. She says, why not? I said, well, it has no footnotes. <laughs> and she says very slowly, why does it need footnotes, Rachel? And I can hardly talk. I'm so humiliated and embarrassed. And I say, if it has no footnotes, it'll have no credibility. And there's a long pause. And she says, Rachel, I think you're about to learn something about credibility. Right? So that was the beginning. And this is the place where I want to pick this up. Authors don't expect to be authors. Authors are different than writers. Writers are people who are born to write. Authors are people who have something to say and write a book about it, or have done something and write a book about it. We do not take it in stride. For the whole 12 months that I was writing down the stories in Kitchen Table Wisdom, I was in a state of disbelief and doubt. When the publication copy of the book arrived in the mail. I carried it with me everywhere. I even slept with it under my pillow. The idea was there would soon be thousands of copies of it, and this troubled me. The very personal nature of the book made me feel vulnerable and exposed. Had I been able to pay back the publisher's advance, I would have brought it back. I would have bought back the manuscript. But I had spent the money, and so I had to go forward. As the publication date approached, I couldn't sleep or eat. But the date passed. Slowly, I began to relax. No one had noticed. A few weeks after the book was published, I was in a bookstore looking for something to read. Seeing a clerk helping a middle-aged woman among the shelves, I stood behind her and waited my turn to ask for help. He climbed a short ladder and handed her down a book. She thanked him and hesitated. Do you have a copy of Kitchen Table Wisdom? She asked him. Standing a few feet behind her, I did something no seasoned writer would ever have done. I gasped. <laughs> right? Turning, she smiled at me. Oh, have you read it? She said to me. Somehow I managed to blurt out that I had written it. There was a moment of silence, and then she reached out to me and touched my arm. I was diagnosed with cancer a few months ago, she told me. Your book has helped me, and I'm buying it for somebody else who also has cancer. I had tears in my eyes. How did it help you? I asked. She smiled again. I'm less afraid, she said. Now, 10 years later, I too am less afraid, less apologetic. When I wrote Kitchen Table Wisdom, I had no idea what it would come to mean to people about the way it would reach people and strengthen them the way it would touch people and make them feel less alone. I had discovered the power of story to change people, to change the world. I have seen a story heal shame and free people from fear and ease suffering and restore a lost sense of worth. 
I have learned that there are ways we can befriend and strengthen the life in others that are very simple and very old. Stories have not lost their power to heal over generations. Stories need no footnotes. Since Kitchen Table Wisdom was published, I've learned that the things that divide us are far less important than those that unite us and connect us. I have traveled throughout the country and read stories to people in hundreds of bookstores. I received letters from grandmothers and school children, from CEOs and construction workers, from nurses and doctors, and people who are sick. I have read every one of the many thousands of letters I have received. I have heard people's dreams and fears and seen their courage. I have become prouder to be a human being. I have glimpsed the true size of the kitchen table at which we all have a seat. We all have our places. I am grateful to know that I too have a place at that table. There has been a great deal of grace in the writing of this book. I am thankful that my stories have helped others find a deeper satisfaction in their lives and discovered that they are more without becoming different. I too am more without becoming different. I feel grateful. Mm. <sighs> Thank you. Wow. Oh, Rachel, that's why I adore you. You just, you live in your heart. You write from your heart. It's all I have, Karen. It's all we all Same have. Same place you sing from. <laughs> <sighs> wow. Yeah, that's the thing. I always knew it was all I had, but I didn't think it was good enough. Didn't think it was good enough. No. <laughs> I was reading. How many of us feel that way? And I brought home a 98. They said, what happened to the other two points? Right. And my ent entire childhood was the pursuit of those two points. They don't make a difference, those two points. They don't make you whole at all. Yeah. Well, and you were saying to me last night about the idea that, you know, at 85, how you just, you've let go of some so much of that mental stuff that you're grateful for so many more things. Just, yeah. you know, you're waking up and you're breathing. <laughs> exactly. I mean, very simple. Talk Loretta LaRoche La right? La La has this wonderful thing that she wakes up every morning and she just says, ta-da, I'm still here. <laughs> ta-da. <laughs> That's what it oh is. Oh, my goodness. I'll sing another little thank song you. here. <laughs> this is one that she wanted me to sing today. If you thank your mind, it will relax. If you thank your heart, it will open. If you thank your past, it will integrate. If you thank your symptoms, they will heal. If you thank your shadow, it will vanish. If you thank your life, it will transform. And if you thank yourself, the light will dawn. And it's Master Meister Eckhart who said, if you begin each day just saying thank you, thank you, that will be enough. 
So I just say, thank you for this day, spirit. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this day, spirit. Thank you for this day. This healing, this healing, healing day. This healing, this healing, this healing day. So that's the whole thing. So out there and wherever you are in the world, sing along with me. Say, thank you for this day, spirit. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this day, spirit. Thank you for this day. This healing, this healing, healing day. Healing, healing. Thank you for my friends. Thank you for my friends, spirit. Thank you for my friends. Thank you for my friends, spirit. My wonderful, my wonderful, my wonderful, my wonderful friends. My wonderful, my wonderful. Thank you for my health. Thank you for my health, spirit. Thank you for my health. Thank you for my health, spirit. My radiant, my radiant, my radiant, my radiant health. My radiant, my radiant. All right, how about our wealth? Say, thank you for my wealth, spirit. Thank you for my wealth. Thank you for my wealth. Oh, here's a big word, opulent. My opulent, my opulent, my opulent wealth. My opulent, my opulent, my opulent. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this day, spirit. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this day, spirit. Thank you for this beautiful, this beautiful, this beautiful, beautiful day. This beautiful, this beautiful, this beautiful day. Just say, thank you for this day, spirit. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this day, spirit. This healing day. This healing, this healing, this healing day. This healing, this healing, this healing day. Thank you, spirit. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Every day. I found when I was rustling papers and looking for um, just thinking, you know, in order to, if we recognize the value of things, the natural position is gratitude. I watch my cat when I feed him every morning. I put that same food down in front of this cat. You are massively in gratitude for those cats. You love your cats. I adore my cat. <laughs> and, and this big red guy comes over and looks at the same food he's had every single day of his life. He closes his eyes and he starts to purr. Uh. Uh-huh. Maybe we should walk. We should all walk around in a state of purring. Right. <laughs> so I, the poem I was looking for was: we don't recognize the grace that are in simple things. We we somehow are grace blind. It's like being colorblind, you know. And this is a poem about being grace blind. Mm. And I forget somebody sent it to me. I forget who who sent it to me. It was written by a, a man called Ron, and I can't pronounce his last name, C-O-E-R-T-G-E, Cortage, probably. And it's called Lily, a poem on significance, right? 
No one would take her when Ruth passed. As the survivors assessed the value of Ruth's antiques, I kept hearing, she's old, someone should put her down. I picked her up instead. Every night I'd tell her about the fish who gave their lives for her, the ones in the cheerful aluminum cans. She lies on my chest to sleep, rising and falling, rising and falling, like a rowboat fastened to a battered dock by a string. Mm. Love this poem. I don't know why it touches me so much. I love it. Let me read it again. Significance. No one would take her when Ruth passed. As the survivors assessed the value of Ruth's antiques, I kept hearing, she's old. Somebody should put her down. I picked her up instead. Every night I tell her about the fish who gave their lives for her and the ones in the cheerful aluminum cans. She lies on my chest to sleep, rising and falling, rising and falling, like a rowboat fastened to a battered dock by a string. Mm. And that, that string is an interesting thing. I think gratitude connects us to life. Gratitude is the clearest vision we have of life. And there's so much that gets in the way. Um, I wanted to follow that with a little story. Because, um, uh, and this is a, a story that I, I has great importance and personal importance to me. Um, there's something about learning medicine and learning all the things you need to know to practice medicine that can make you blind. <laughs> I want to um, talk about, um, I want to I'll share with you a story of, of blindness. Um, I think the opposite of gratitude is blindness. It's like that, right? So this happened many years ago um, when I was uh, um, a young doctor at Sloan Kettering, the great cancer hospital in San, in San Francisco, in New York City. And in those days, there was no hospice. So when someone was too sick to be cared for at home, people would be admitted into the hospital, right? And they were HTD, here to die because we could take care of them when their families could no longer take care of them. And they, they, they needed to go somewhere. There was no place for them to go to spend the last days of their lives. And I remember one such man. Um, it's, it's much too long. I, I don't remember his name, but I sure remember his x-rays. His bones looked like Swiss cheese. And he had great snowballs of tumor in both of his lungs. His, his whole body was, was, was filled with cancer. And in the three weeks that he was with us as an HTD, here to die, 
every one of those lesions disappeared and they never came back. Were we in awe? No. <laughs> we were frustrated. Obviously, someone had misdiagnosed this man. So we sent out his slides to pathologists all over the country. And the pathologists examined the, the slides and they, they all sent back the same verdict, which was, this was a classic osteogenic sarcoma, cancer. So we held grand rounds. And in those days, the words got, the word got out to the several of the neighboring large hospitals in, in New York City. And people dropped in on the rounds. There were about 350 doctors in this round. So we presented this case. And um, so um, we all uh, looked at the slides. And we all looked at the x-rays. And we all heard the PATH report from all the people around the country. Um, and we all saw the man. And we heard his story. And I remember the conclusion of this grand rounds. 350 doctors decided that the chemotherapy that had been stopped 11 months before had suddenly worked. And you know, um, I never questioned this conclusion for the next 15 years. Too much scientific perspective, if you will, um, scientific objectivity can actually make you blind. Hmm. We have a miracle that happened right under our noses. It could have inspired all of us for the rest of our lives. It, it could have infused all of our work with possibility, and we all walked away thinking that someone had made a mistake. And the people who had made a mistake were the 350 doctors in the room. Yeah. Yeah. When everyone is thinking inside the box, it's hard to think outside of the box. But you know, outside of the box is where life is. Always. So I just wanted to share that story of gratitude. Not one of us felt grateful, except maybe this man. I hope he felt grateful. I don't know if he did or not. Hmm. Oh, Rachel, I just could sit and listen to your, you tell all these stories all day long. It's so fun. <laughs> so fun. So inspiring. Oh, my goodness. You're listening to a TNS conversation with Rachel Naomi Remen and Karen Drucker. Well, you know, we're thinking of doing this, uh, continuing on, like at each of the holidays we've been talking about how we just wanted yeah. to just do this. So this might be a continuing little experiment of different holidays and different ideas. Well, you know, the holidays are, are reminders, like, um, uh, obviously, uh, Christmas is coming, which is about many things, among them mystery. Yeah. 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 Um, so, and, and then, of course, uh, Valentine's Day, which is about love. 
and Mother's Day and Father's Day and all. Well, you obviously have about a million different uh, ideas and stories you could tell about all of these different themes. Unfortunately, so. you have songs about them. I do. We're kind of a good match in this way. It's pretty much like any theme I have a song for. So, yeah. Well, we'll talk about that. But, you know, I want to do one little plug, if I may be your manager for a moment, is that speaking of Christmas, your beautiful book. Could you just tell people about your beautiful book for a oh, moment? Oh, I wrote a children's book. Well, children's in quotations. Years and years and years. And um, I somehow or other, you know, this, is, this came the same way that that kitchen table wisdom came. I got a phone call from a total stranger who said, that they had um, been listening to Krista Tippett on the radio. She has a talk show. She's a wonderful interviewer about people and a wonderful person. And there's an interview she did with me years and years ago, and she plays it you know, periodically. So she was playing this old interview, and these people heard it, and uh, they were from a children's book company. And there's a story in the, in the interview that they thought would make a children's book, and did I want to do this? And my first reaction always is, I can't write a children's book. I don't know how to do that. Right? The same, same thing as with Kitchen Table Wisdom. And then I said, wait a minute. <laughs> I have to look at the way this was delivered to me. <laughs> right? And so I wrote this book. And I wrote a book about... Um, uh, based on one of the oldest stories that's been passed down. The story must be 200 years old, maybe older. And it's called The Story of the Birthday of the World. And um, it's been fun. It's been totally different. It's a totally different experience. And uh, the book was just published uh, about a month ago. The illustrations, I mean, the story oh, is so you, but the illustrations wonderful? too, are the, it's just beautiful. It's just, it's a beautiful book. But you know, don't you ever, as I get older, I notice I sort of get corroboration. For example, the woman who did this, the, 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 uh, the illustrations, yeah. right? I didn't want her to do the illustrations. I had picked out someone I knew that I wanted to illustrate the book. But the, the, they wanted her to illustrate the book. And I said, okay, what's her name? And her name is Rochelle, R-A-C-H-E-L-L. The name on my birth certificate is not Rachel. The name on my birth certificate is spelled R-A-C-H-E-L-L-E, Rochelle. <laughs> Do, 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 and do. I had changed back to my grandma's name, which was Rachel, but we had the same name. So I just said, okay, you know, I don't know why this is happening, but I'll take her. And she did this unbelievable job, unbelievable. What's this? It says a second piece in the show. Oh, yeah, right. So she lives up somewhere in, in Washington State, up there somewhere. And I write to her, and she looks at my return address, and she says, you know, you're living about three blocks from where I grew up. <laughs> she grew up here in the East Bay, and I moved way out from Marin to the East Bay to be closer to members of my family. 
Well, there are no accidents, I think. kinds of things, you know, start happening. And then she says, um, she drew a portrait. She's just amazing. Her, her illustrations are amazing. It's a portrait of a little girl with her hands over her heart, and the light of her heart is coming through her hands. Oh, it's, it's, it's beautiful. And she says, I, don't, I want to include this, you know, I want this to be, this is part of it. And I, I, I found myself very um, moved by the picture. It took me half a year to realize this is the way my grandfather saw me. Yes. When I was four years old. Oh. A little girl, the light of whose heart came through her hands. Yeah. And that light of, and that, that heart just comes through in everything you do, Rachel. Yeah. From four years old to 85. And yeah. here I'm, I'm noticing our wonderful uh, Kira has put the, the, the link um, in the chat. If you want to, you can just oh, click on there and you can people. just go right yeah. to it. So Yeah, let's talk to some people. Can, I can't see the chat where I am. Um, I, I can. And so, um, yeah, if you have, so we're going to finish up. I'll just do one more song. But why, why don't we um, look at if anyone has any things that they want to say. I'm yeah, looking at the chat yeah. right now. But as we're having those those things come in, once again, we're, we'd like to thank Ken and Kira for helping us do this today. Ken's behind the scenes, making everything look good and sound good. And here's, here's something from Paul. He said, can you share the difference between being grateful and being in appreciation? I'll say that again. Can you stick it with the difference between being, being grateful and being in appreciation? Is there a difference? Well, just off the top, appreciation seems mental. Mm, that's and a good point. It seems heartfelt. It's a yeah. kind of a different energy. Uh, I have reasons for being, for appreciating something. It's met met my standards for, for something, you know. That's uh, someone's done a piece of, of surgery, uh, and it's really been very skillful. And I have a great appreciation for right. the ability to do that. Um, but gratitude is different than that. Yeah, gratitude feels much more like a an all encompassing and heart driven. Yeah. Uh, the heart is a way of seeing. Uh, it's an organ of vision. And it allows you to see. Without the heart, I think the world becomes black and white. The heart allows you to see the color in the world. Oh, that's, you and, know, Rachel, um, everything you say is like another book. <laughs> it's like that's <laughs> right there, just even that last statement. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. You know, I have a one of my... um. My heart, the heart is an organ of vision. I love that. Thank you, Anne, for saying that again. So I have a little exercise I do every morning where I put my hand over my heart and I say, what does my heart have to say to me today? You know, what does my heart have to say? And, you know, I, I actually, I'll tell you one little story that I was, um, I was a performer uh, for, there's an organization here in the Bay Area called Bread and Roses, and I used to do this, um, this puppet show. I was, I was a member of the cast of this little puppet show. And my, my I don't know if I ever told you this story, Rachel, my no. character was called Dr. Heart. And I was filled with hearts. I had a heart smock and a heart you know, hat and heart shoes and heart, I was just gigantic heart. And I had this little stethoscope, and we would go to these children's pediatric uh, centers, and we would go into those rooms where the kids were coming in to see this puppet show, and 
they were all hooked up to things and IVs. And I was just, oh, it was just so heartbreaking to see these little faces looking up at you with little things in their noses and coming off of their arms. But my job in this puppet show was I had to take my stethoscope and go up to all the little kids and say, what does your heart have to say today? What does your heart have to say? And I'd go up to these little beings that they'd look up with me, these little lammy pies would look up and say, well, my heart is kind of sad today because I'm, you know, I'm scared. My parents are upset about me being sick. And no doctors were in the room, no parents. So they allowed themselves to speak to Dr. Hart. And they just spoke from their heart of just, you know, I want to go out and play. And this has stuck with me all these years that that's my... That's my practice every morning. What does my heart have to say to me today? Not my mind. Not my mind who's going to say, oh, you have to do this meeting. You have to do this. It goes into that place of my heart of just saying, what does my heart have to say to me today? And from that place, that's how I can start in gratitude. Yeah, I love it. We just want to thank you all again so much for, for being with us. And again, to Kira and Ken and... Um, I'll, let me sing one more little song, Rachel, and then you can finish up if you have anything else. But this is a this is a fun gratitude song. I invite you, if you've been sitting for this time, to allow yourselves to get up and move around a little bit. I'll sing it to you once. It goes like this. Gratitude before me. Gratitude behind me. Gratitude to the left of me. And gratitude to the right of me. And gratitude above me, and gratitude below me, and gratitude within me, and gratitude all around me. And then you simply say, I'm so grateful, I'm so grateful, I'm so grateful, I'm so grateful, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. Are you ready to do the mo- movements with me? Okay, let me show you how it goes. You can even stand up if you want. You say, gratitude before me. And you go, gratitude behind me to the left. Gratitude to the left of me. Gratitude to the right of me. Above. Gratitude above me. Below. Gratitude below me. Within me. Gratitude within all around me. Gratitude all around. And then you open up your arms and you say, I'm so grateful. Then you give it to yourself. I'm so grateful. Then you give it to people you love. Looking at you, Rachel, right now and giving you lots of love. Then you release, let it go. You do it again. I'm so grateful. You give it to yourself. I'm so grateful. I'm so so grateful. Let's do it one more time. And gratitude before me. Gratitude behind me. To the left. Gratitude to the left of me. Put a little wiggle in it now. To the right of me. Gratitude above me. Gratitude below me. Gratitude within me. Gratitude. And you can spin around if you want. And you say, I'm so I'm so grateful. 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 I'm so grateful.
this for a moment. I'll keep going with this. Put your hands over your heart. Close your eyes for just a moment. And think about who you're grateful for in this moment. Just see them in your mind's eye. It could be your kitties, doggies. It could be someone in the room right next to you. It could be people you work with. I know I'm grateful for Rachel right now. All right, let's sing it one more time. Get up. Put a little weight with it. all the little hearts coming up on the screen. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. I'm so grateful. 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 Grateful. Every day I'm grateful. In little ways, in every way, I'm just so grateful. So just open up your arms really big. Open up that heart chakra. <sighs> so grateful. So grateful for you, dear Rachel. Your heart, your stories. So lovely to spend this time with you. I would like to close with one last story. Yay. I think it's interesting. Uh, there's something so seductive about uh, the cognitive. Um, we define ourselves by what we know, what our skills are, what we do, um, and we go blind <laughs> in that process. And um, in reading this story, uh, I had forgotten I'd written it. <laughs> and in reading it, I realized um, how wounded we make ourselves by Closing off this whole part of our experience, the experience of gratitude. Mm. So let me read you the story. It's a little bit long, but I'm, you know, I'm reading with a magnifying lens, so I'll be a little bit slow, but I'd like to leave us with this story. Okay. Um, let's see. Okay. Meaning is a form of strength. It has the power to transform experience, to open the most difficult of work, the dimension of joy and even gratitude. Meaning is the language of the heart and even of the soul. Few works of service can endure unless they are sustained by a lived sense of meaning and purpose, which is why so many doctors and nurses are burning out right now. Um, about 10 years ago, a hospice director invited me to facilitate a day-long retreat on stress reduction and renewal for the staff of her hospice. Is this a workshop for the professional staff, I asked her? No, she said. She wanted it to be for everyone who works here. The hospice occupied a whole building, and more than 45 people staffed it. At that time, 
some hardly knew one another, and there was an unspoken but tangible divide between those who offered direct patient service and what was called the support staff. It had been like this for many years. This was of deep concern to the director. As she described it, the hospice, and as she described the way the hospice functioned, I could not help thinking of the caste system in India. In addition to stress reduction, I would like every person who works here to find out that they are a valued part of a single service organization, she told me. Perhaps you might do that in the morning session. <laughs> As she went on to talk about her goals for the afternoon, my heart sank. I couldn't think of any way to make her agenda happen, and certainly not in a single morning. But I have my resources. As soon as I could, I called my oldest friend, Marion Weber, the coordinator of experiential learning in the Physician's Postgraduate Program at Commonweal. Marion is an artist who has a fine understanding of the unconscious mind and a profound and intuitive approach to healing and the building of community. What do you think, I asked her. No problem, she said with a laugh. It really is one organization. And everyone there is an important part of it. You don't need to make that happen, Rachel. You just need to make that visible. Over the next 15 minutes, she worked out a group exercise for the morning session. Following her suggestion, I sent a letter to everybody who would be at the retreat, um, asking them to bring with them a small object from home that symbolized to them the meaning of their, own, of their work at the hospice. The letter said nothing about the purpose of these objects, and a great deal of curiosity was generated. Um, should I tell them more? I asked Marion. She said, certainly not. <laughs> By the morning of the retreat, I had many reservations. I had never done this sort of thing before in such a large group. Neither had Marion. I felt it was quite possible that things would not go as she had predicted. Um, but there was a deep river of truth that runs through our daily experience, sometimes tapping into it in the simplest of ways will have profound and moving outcomes. The exercise Marion suggested was very simple. I began by asking everyone to sit in a single large circle on the rug. There were almost 50 people in the room. I don't believe they had ever sat in the same room before, and people were not completely comfortable. When everyone was settled, I invited whoever would care to go first to say their name aloud and show, hold up the object they had brought and tell us about it and how it represented the meaning of their work at hospice to them. There was a long silence. And finally, a young man stood saying that his name was John. Um, he showed us what he had brought, which was a small ceramic bridge, which he had taken from his aquarium that morning. Holding the bridge in his hands, he told us that he 
thought it, it he had brought it because he felt that his work was a bridge between the fears and needs of dying people and their families and the healing power of the hospice. The work was important to him because his mother had died frightened and alone when he was a teenager. Where do you work at the hospice? I asked him. I'm one of the telephone operators, he told me. The room was absolutely still. Moved, I asked him to put the bridge on the rug in the middle of this big circle of people. He set it down carefully and went back to his place in the circle. Fifty pairs of eyes looked at it in silence. Something frozen in the room eased slightly. The next person to talk was a middle-aged woman who had brought a car, a crystal paperweight in the shape of a heart. She told us that her work was about listening to what was spoken and what was unspoken. She said that she'd been trained to listen with her mind, but through this work at hospice, she had learned to listen with her heart. This had been important to her because for a long time, she had not known that she had a heart. She was a social worker at the hospice. She set her object in the middle of the floor next to John's bridge. Then person after person spoke about their objects and the meaning of their work. The things they brought were unique and varied. There was a tiny lighthouse, pictures of family members, a statue of Quan Yin, the goddess of compassion, a nightlight, a cross made out of two nails, a ragged teddy bear from someone's childhood, and even a pair of newborn baby shoes. Every object reflected one of the many facets of the hospice's profound work of service. People who had barely said hello to each other before listened to each other with absolute attention and respect. Slowly, something ineffable began to become visible in the center of the room. Although they had never seen it before, people knew it had always been there in their midst and that they were part of it. The director had taken me aside before the morning session and told me she'd forgotten to bring an object. She was certain this wasn't going to matter. I think it does, I told her, and suggested she go outside and find something that symbolized her work, either from her car or her purse or from the beautiful natural setting that surrounded the meeting room. She looked at me doubtfully, but she went in search of something. About three quarters of the way through the exercise, she stood. She was a formidable woman. She told the group that she had forgotten her object, but she had, uh, and, she, and she had gone outside to find another one. The one she had found was far better than the one she had meant to bring. It was the right one. Reaching into her pocket, she took out a flat rock about as big as two hands. It was very ordinary, and there was still dirt clinging to it from where she had dug it out of the ground. She held it up, and everyone looked at it puzzled. This is what I bring to hospice, she said quietly. It is not soft, and it does not change easily. 
It is steadfast. You can count on it and you can build on it. And walking forward, she gently put the rock down among the candles and the hearts and the statues of the Buddha. The group contemplated it in absolute silence. Among the other symbols of the hospice's work, it was truly one of a kind. Yet perhaps only one of this kind was needed. In the silence, I could feel a sort of shift happen in the room, a sort of experience I sometimes have in a therapy session, just before someone sees the familiar in a new and deeper way. The strength and determination of this visionary and difficult woman that others had sometimes found so daunting had become their rock of Gibraltar. Close to the end of the exercise, we stood and slowly walked around the objects in the middle of the room so that everybody could see from all sides. In the elegant language of symbolism, something that mattered deeply to every person present had become suddenly visible. The objects had been brought by nurses telephone operators, cleaning women, social workers, file clerks, among others. But it was not possible to tell by looking at what had been placed there, whether it had been put by a nurse or a doctor or a telephone operator, um, or if it had been added by a file clerk. In two hours, people had gone beyond the divisiveness of their expertise to experience the unity of their purpose. Many were in tears. There is in all work of service a deep soul, something that has called those who participate to this work and sustains it. The experience of this can become lost in the daily, the mundane, the routine nature of the work. But it is important to evoke it now and then, to make it visible and even tangible. That which sustains the work will sustain us all and bless us with its strength. And at the end of this uh, session, we all stood and we had a moment of silence in which we uh, considered a single word that represented what they had learned in this workshop. And I'm looking around at all these people, there's absolute silence. And I uh, put my hand on the shoulder of the person on my left and I say, let's say our words out loud one at a time, moving to the left. And he says, gratitude. And the person next to me says, gratitude. And 45 people said, gratitude. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful, Rachel. Yeah. Well, I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful I'm for grateful this time for we've had together. And for you, too. Yeah. Yes, it's yeah. beautiful. So yeah. we're going to turn yeah. it back over to Kira to, <laughs> to end us out. But thank you all so much for being here today with us. We had a great time. And for Ken, yeah.
Yes, thank Everybody, you, Ken. Yeah. Thanks for hanging out with us. We know we went a little long. We just had too much fun, I think, with all of you. <laughs> so thank you. Thank so go you, ahead, Kara. Thank you, Karen and Rachel. Oh, my gosh. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We have so many kinds of conversations at the new school, but it's not very often we get to share singing and music and storytelling like this. So I hope we, it's so important. It's so nurturing. And I hope we can do more with you. Oh, lovely. Just a reminder for everybody who's still here that if you want to rewatch or re-listen to the conversation or share it with others, and if you're on our mailing list or if you follow us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube, you'll be notified as well. Or you can visit our website. So much gratitude for all of you who are joining us from around the world. Thank you for being with us at the New School at Commonweal today. We'll see you next time, everyone. You've been listening to a TNS conversation with Rachel Naomi Remen and Karen Drucker. Thank you for listening to TNS, the new school at Commonweal. The new school at Commonweal is directed by Michael Lerner. Our program coordinator is Kara Epstein. Our audio producer is Ken Adams. Our theme music was performed by Debbie Daly. Visit us online at tns.commonweal.org. That's tns.commonweal.org. Commonweal is spelled C-O-M-M-O-N-W-E-A-L. You can also find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Facebook, YouTube, Vimeo, and Amazon Music. Thanks for listening. Water, 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 water